Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures are pretty steady uh, and mixed as a waiting game now begins ahead of Jackson Hole and Powell's speech tomorrow. Uh, durables, though, with a nice upside surprise today. We're watching Hurricane Laura. Our roadmap begins with Salesforce Monster Beat raising the guide. Margins up on a great week for that new Dow component. Also, Palantir's pitch, the S-1 rips into Silicon Valley and defends the company's government work. And no symptoms, no test. Why the CDC is quietly updating its coronavirus testing guidelines. Uh, Normally, Jim, I wouldn't start there, but you were just tweeting a moment ago about how important testing is as the uh, number the seven-day average of new tests in this country is the lowest since early July. Right. Look, I, I just think that the main uh, gap in the system is you hear people say, well, my daughter just got it from college, and we've been all trying to test in the families five days. We don't know what to do. And I think that that halting nature of, of what to do it has gripped this country and, and has changed it from a country where you go places to a country that you stay at home. Uh, it, it's a country where you can't, where you do not travel overseas. It's a country where where you're frightened over a five and seven day period endlessly, and we live with the tyranny of it. Testing would end, but it's got to be instant. Can't be a lab. All right. Yeah. A lab well, is a big, well, big obstacle. Yeah, we'll talk more about that later. But certainly, the way in which COVID has turned the world upside down has done nothing to dampen. Salesforce's no. prospects. I'm looking at the commentary today, Jim. Uh, Monster Beat, as uh, Jeffries, uh, Morgan Stanley removes much of the prior caution. City likely taking hardware share from Cisco. Uh, it's an amazing print. Look, I, I, sometimes you look at a print and say, when did you expect to get that one? When did you expect to see that quarter? And it would have been sometime maybe near the end of last year. Uh, they're doing, you know, they've got 20 billion rev. Uh, the thing that I find that is most exciting about this is what we're seeing is companies saying, listen, I got to digitize. You look at Nordstrom. They didn't digitize correctly. But anybody who digitized correctly, uh, Dix, which we're going to talk about this morning, has they've got the world's their oyster. And most people, most companies, they're not technology companies. So you bring in Salesforce. They tell you how to do it. David, you know that Mark Benioff has a vision, uh, which I think you share about how to change the world. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, so many things that Benioff and I share other than uh, friendship. We do not share. But <laughs> no fault of mine. No fault of mine. I mean, I've never actually had a guy on set when I've asked him a question just completely ignore it the way that Mark managed to do that. Time. Well, he told me he loved you. I, I got that clarified. But what, what Mark yeah. has done is made it so that uh, whether it's ATT, uh, whether it's a, the veterans, whether it be Under Armour, whether it be VF Corp with Vans, he fig- they figure out a strategy to be able to lift sales. So, uh, and, and it's done by knowing your customer, uh, by really being the true arbiter of the customer. And it works. And I think a lot of people think it's smoke and mirrors until they actually bring it in and they get a gigantic lift on their uh, e-commerce. And we know that this quarter of retail, it's been all about e-commerce. If you had it, you're good. If you didn't, bye-bye. Yeah, and we're going to get it's to uh, uh, some of the been, e-commerce yeah. numbers uh, out of Dix and others today, Jim. Wow. You did talk to Benioff uh, last night. He talked to you about uh, the growth rate, but also talked about some of the challenging times that we're in. Let's take a listen. This has been such a challenging time for so many of us. And uh, 
you know, we realized with 54,000 employees working at home, uh, with a raging pandemic, with this economic crisis, social justice crisis, uh, with this environmental crisis, we, we had two changes. We could stay and do what we were doing, or we could change. We could evolve. We could shift. And we did. Well, look, Jim, wasn't long ago we were we were questioning the strategy of letting some customers uh, go without paying some of their subscription fees. Now all the commentary revolves around how you raise margins even amid explosive growth. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's what, that was the theme. See, last quarter was a disappointment. Uh, and why was it? Well, when Mark came on, he said, you know what? We had to let people have it for free for a while. We were not going to try to squeeze our clients and prospective clients. Well, you know what? It worked. Uh, they had a, a run of new clients, the likes of which I've not seen. Uh, this was the best quarter, I believe, as a public company. Uh, and a lot of it is just companies and states. How about University of Kentucky? At University of Kentucky figured out its online strategy with Mark. Uh, the, when you bring in an, uh, an outfit like ATT, and David, I know you can speak to this, I don't think ATT was necessarily known as like a customer-centric company. And what Mark Benioff talked about, it was number one, he wanted to talk about it first, was the number of people who are feeling basically good about AT&T and their cable service because of this uh, identification issue that, that Mark gives you. Know your customer. And, David, I think a lot of companies that don't know their customer have no choice but to turn to Salesforce because they, they don't even know how to do it. You're right. You're right. And listen, Jim, and you've made this point already, but it's worth mentioning again. I mean, we've talked so often, the three of us, about uh, the acceleration of trends that were already in place right. and the digitization, certainly, of so many companies when it comes to their customer-facing um, uh, opportunities uh, has been accelerated. They've had to. You, it's the only way you could survive at this point. And obviously, Salesforce has greatly benefited uh, from that. Uh, not as much uh, at Oracle or SAP, no. by the way, Jim, as Salesforce has been able to during this period. No, and that's the customer relations management. Mark puts up charts, shows that uh, Mark's been taking very big share. Uh, I think it's true. I think what you talk about, by the way, with e-commerce, you look at a stock like Dick's, is going to be up maybe the most uh, it, it, this morning. And they've got some numbers for e-commerce that, are, again, are, you know, these staggering numbers that you get where, uh, First of all, when you see the earnings increasing 148 percent, 155 percent for uh, non-GAAP, you realize, well, hold on, how did they do it? Well, because e-commerce sales increased 194 percent. And the theory I'm propounding for tonight's show is your home has become everything. It's become your mall and it's also become your office. And therefore, if you're going to shop at Dick's, you're shopping from your home. And that you take a look at the incredibly poor numbers by Nordstrom today. And the whole goal there was to get you into their store uh, so that you would do shopping, both their uh, rack off price and also their main one in the mall. And people don't want to do that. It's just it's done. It's just not going to happen. And they were non-essential because they didn't sell food. And this was uh, the same Kohl's dilemma. These have no raison d'etre. They have no raison d'etre, Carl. There is just no reason why you need to go to Nordstrom. The better service is on Amazon. Uh, it's true, Jim. Uh, the closures. I mean, you would you would be the first to say um, when the government says you can't open, uh, you're talking about huge policy ramifications. But uh, it was interesting. You know, Best Buy was able to overcome 
some of that closure in the quarter, but just not so for JWN. Right. Uh, Best Buy had a pretty good uh, curb strategy. You can uh, go get it. Now, the, the number of price, uh, price bumps today, I thought Best Buy was unfairly punished yesterday by the fact that the stock ran up. I, I think the Best Buy story is simple. They survived. Uh, very few in their category can survive. It, this whole issue of who survives versus who goes uh, was decided by the government. And I don't think we're ever going to understand how we let that happen. It was so arbitrary and capricious. But when you're a, when you're a Nordstrom and you were closed for 50 percent of the days, I mean, what happens? What happens is people yeah, just say, oh, yeah. they're closed. I'm not going there. David, Children's but, Place, terrible numbers. And I, I start thinking, OK, right. in the mall, what are they going to do? And uh, everybody that's in the mall that was non-essential, people don't come back. It, it, stores aren't that, well, that great. You know. I know, but but what you're arguing, and many are, is that there are behavioral changes now yes. in terms of well, behavioral societal changes that have taken place during the pandemic that will continue forever. And we talk about shopping. Now there are others who say, "Listen, people like to go to a store, yeah. especially a nice store, yeah. a Nordstrom, something like that. There is something that they enjoy about that, and that's not going to change when they are able to actually do that and feel safe again." Similarly, there are those who fight back or, or, or challenge the idea that we're all going to be working from home forever. I know Antonio Neri yesterday from, from uh, Hewlett Packard, which also had pretty strong yes. quarter over quarter growth, even year over year, still not that great, but quarter over quarter. And that stock also going to be up. Jim ta- uh, and Carl talking about his belief that as many as 50 percent of the workforce is going to be working from home at some point. Find that a bit hard to imagine, but we can ask him or at least you guys will be asking about be able to ask him about it, Carl, on Squawk Alley, I believe, when he'll be your guest. Um, So the question becomes, are these behavioral changes that have taken place over the last six months here to stay forever or are we making too much of them? Well, Dave, I think that some of this is, frankly, will we feel safe? Uh, do you feel safe going to the store? I mean, obviously, if you had rapid testing and you knew that uh, there was a vaccine, you might want to go. As Richard Haynes said, and this is the incredible quarter that Urban Outfitters delivered, and that's not all uh, mall-based, but heavy mall, he says, look, clearly some customers still prefer shopping in stores. But, David, think about that. If you had heard that statement two years ago, would you say, what, 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 yeah, no kidding, no kidding. But what we wiped out, and he, again, he's such an articulate man, you know, we wiped out weddings. We wiped out graduations. We wiped out dining out. We wiped out the reason to get dressed nicely. So what's happened is, and again, he's so smart, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just steal this, I think, for the moment. He's talking about that we are now, fashion is function. Okay, it's function, and there's also impossible conditions mm-hmm. into bringing supplies. So, Carl, I, I think that things are here to stay until uh, we got to hurry up. I mean, whoever is trying to get us a vaccine and test has to realize there are a lot of jobs on the line, even though I do see, obviously, from durable goods, there is there's a comeback. There's no doubt a comeback. No one yeah. disagrees with that. Yeah, durable's. Uh, durable's up 11-2, and we were looking right. for 4-7 That's in the prior 7-6. So uh, decent numbers on durables, and that's a big reason why yields are up close to two-week highs. But, Jim, to your point about fashion being function, I mean, uh, CES conventions now on the wires just now. Davos rescheduled oh. until early next summer. Um, the Olympics, uh, we'll find out if the Super Bowl happens. But uh, you're right. I mean, I see. What's the upgrade today? Uh, it's a Keurig Dr. Pepper. Morgan Stanley goes to overweight on in-house coffee consumption. I love right? that. Call. We're drinking Yesterday a lot more smucker. coffee at home. Yesterday smuckered. Uh, you had Duncan. Uh, you had Cafe Bostello. Uh, these are having putting up 20 percent 
numbers, Folgers, okay? 20% growth for coffee? What does that mean for Starbucks and Kevin Johnson? Because I think when you see those, the things that are really, the foods that people really love, coffee, that, that's been a major comeback. And get this, peanut butter. Jeff had amazing numbers and Skippy had amazing numbers. Now you could say, well, wait a second, is that a recession? Or is, is that some sort of craving? I don't know. But those are the two coffee, those are the two foodstuffs that people went nuts for in a pandemic. David, I don't know. I know you never leave your house. How are you stocked for peanut butter? How are you stocked for coffee? <laughs> we're we're uh, we're good on both. Good. I, want, I just want to be sure. Both. I'll tell Mark <laughs> Ben. I'll tell Mark Benny if you're fine on that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for I appreciate that because I know he cares a great deal about my work. That's all he talks about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Guys, uh, we'll take a break here. Uh, there's a lot to get to. Got another street high on Apple for the third day in a row. $2,500 target on Tesla. And David's going to walk us through that Palantir S1, which, as he said, was imminent uh, 24 hours ago and is truly a remarkable read. We're back in a minute. Well, we did get that S1 from Palantir, as Carl just said. We were expecting it yesterday. It didn't come until late in the day. It did prove to be an interesting read, not so much for the numbers, although they were important, but as well for comments from longtime CEO Alex Karp. As for the numbers and what we can expect here, remember, Palantir is going to be doing um, a direct listing. So it's not going to be raising any new equity for the company, which has been able to raise money for many years in the private market and has about one and a half billion dollars already in cash on its balance sheet. There's a look at some of the numbers as well in terms of the net loss last year, revenues, uh, and you can see uh, overall the first half of this year. Uh, 49% was the top line growth rate, guys, 481 million. You can see that number right there. And they are saying as well in the first half of 2020, the net loss decreased to $164 million. They also say they made money when you exclude stock-based compensation, but we prefer not to exclude that given it's uh, something that they've been doing for quite some time and probably will continue to. There is going to be a lockup of some sort on a certain percentage of these shares Don't have a lot more detail on that, but it is worth keeping an eye on because it would make it somewhat unique in that in that sense. And then there's the question of exactly what the float's going to be. I'm hearing it could be as much as a four billion dollar float, 15 to 20 billion dollar value. You're talking about almost a billion dollars in revenues. But guys, what got people's attention uh, is, again, Alex Karp's comments in, in a letter about Silicon Valley where they have been for a long time, but where they are moving from. Here's what he had to say. The engineering elite of Silicon Valley may know more than most about building software, but they do not know more about how society should be organized or what justice requires. Our company was founded in Silicon Valley, but we seem to share fewer and fewer of the technology sector's values and commitments. From the start, we've repeatedly turned down opportunities to sell, collect, or mine data. Other technology companies, including some of the largest in the world, have built their entire businesses on doing just that. Reminding us as well that their software is used to target terrorists and to keep soldiers safe. And he went on to say, if we're going to ask someone to put themselves in harm's way, we believe we have a duty to give them what they need to do their job. Government work, Jim, has been an important component of this company's business for quite some time. But they are trying to make a larger and larger commitment to the commercial sector with their Foundry Works product to help companies use data as well. But again, 
not in the way that he says, didn't name names, but I think right. we know who he's talking about. Well, right? look, they don't like the advertising model, which I think is correct. I don't know what it, it is in their new product. I, look, I think that there is a, something to be said, and a lot of these companies keep saying it about the idea that your personal data should be your personal data. But I also say that everybody comes to the nuisance. I mean, it's not like I never understood the idea that, well, you came to Facebook in order to blast out your personality or, or Instagram in order to be able to sell things. But you know what? You want privacy? It should come with the territory. I have Shopify on tonight. We'll talk about that. But uh, look, I appreciate any contrary. This is a very good call about the idea that there is just a concentration of power uh, in one area. And I think for those who want let's just say, more uh, democracy of tech. It isn't good that there is just a small group of people who control so much. Uh, but I also think that, that you know, Palantir is fighting a, they're kind of fighting an uphill battle. They're smart guys. It may be. Interesting to note, Peter Thiel, of course, uh, a founder here. By the way, he's a billionaire, but I'm told fairly illiquid. So this is an important direct listing for him as well. But he is, of course, Carl, on the board of Facebook, which, while not named, certainly seemed to be the focus in part of what Mr. Carp mm. was writing about. Carping. Yeah. Um, yeah. If people look into that letter uh, from Carp, sort of spitting on the traditional mindset of Silicon Valley. But then, David, uh, Class F Common uh, sort of uh, tying right into what Silicon Valley's done a long term in, uh, in terms of ownership structure. Correct. Uh, they will uh, they will have voting control of the company, to your point. That's right. Uh, and that is something that we've seen happen, of course, the likes of Facebook as well and a number of other companies. So, yeah, it's not as though they're on the governance front, at least, that they're uh, necessarily adapting best in class uh, at this point, Carl. But uh, he's an interesting guy, Carp, and I hope that we get some more exposure to him. You know, he doesn't make himself widely available, but he's always worth listening to. I've gotten to know him a bit through the years and, and certainly has a unique perspective well, Dave, on a lot of different Dave, things. isn't it a little sanctimonious to say our leadership believes that working with the Chinese Communist Party is inconsistent with our culture and mission? Well, no kidding, because if your culture and mission is to target terrorists and keep soldiers safe, why would you be worried? I mean, yeah, no, yeah, no, I don't want you to work with the Chinese. I mean, honestly, and not only that, but we're not working with North Korea. That's it. We're putting our foot. Oh, come on. Sanctum. There's no place for sanctimony. Uh, no. All right. Good. Yeah. You thought he was sanctimonious. Yes. I get it. I get it. Um. Jim, stay tuned because uh, we're going to have an interview with BHP Billet and CEO Mike Henry took over the job at the beginning of this year. It's his first interview in the U.S. How about that? First on, first interview in the U.S. A lot to talk to him about, including, of course, uh, the storm that is coming to the Gulf and what they're going to do to prepare, given BHP does have operations down there. We're back, Red. That upside surprise on revenue for Salesforce, the biggest in at least 10 years. It's a big reason why the stock's up almost 15% pre-market. Hewlett-Packard Enterprise will talk to Antonio Neri later on today uh, when Squawk on the Street continues. Don't go anywhere. All right, let's get to a mad dash now. Uh, Jim, you can take a look at Lowe's. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of notes today. Jeffries comes out and says uh, they have a new tool rental plan, but it hasn't been laid out yet. But I mentioned Lowe's because in the old days, David, when there were somewhat obvious trades, like a hurricane, people would buy Home Depot and they would buy Lowe's. 
I think that these new younger traders, they think that they've never, you know, no one's ever seen anything. I actually think they're going to buy Lowe's and Home Depot off this terrible hurricane that's potentially catastrophic. And uh, I think you got to get ahead of them because I do believe that Lowe's is a fantastic company. Home Depot's great. And they're always first to help uh, in these terrible, terrible uh, weather conditions. So be aware. I think that those uh, they'll plow into it tomorrow morning around 4 a.m. Maybe you want to get ahead of them. Wow. So you're just giving you're giving sort of a trading recommendation based on what you think is this sort of new cohort that's entered our market. Yeah. Which will be thinking about things for the first time in a way that obviously we've been watching. It's really extraordinary, David. They um, they wake up and they say, you know what? Salesforce added to the Dow. Well, you know what? Salesforce will buy. And then, David, the next day they report and the stock's up 30. I mean, you know, because this mantra of these people is stocks only go up. Um, yeah, my friend David Portnoy right. has been the uh, principal proponent of that. But you know what? They'll do this. Right. They'll buy Lowe's and they'll buy Home Depot. And they got it right. Salesforce, they so, made 34 points. Right. So they were they were not looking deeply into the Salesforce numbers, sort of making sure they understood what free cash flow was and what the prospects are for its opportunity to continue to grow at a significant rate. They may have been interested in the Tableau software deal. I don't know what it was. MuleSoft. MuleSoft worked very, very mm. well. Uh, and maybe they were maybe they were scrutinizing, David, the market share versus SAP in Oracle. Or maybe they just said, hey, this were. one's going higher. Yeah. Let's buy it. Which is the new uh, way. Yeah, David. I doubt they even they didn't even know there were earnings yesterday. You know that. Well, Salesforce, for, you know, maybe they think it's like, you know, arms forces. I don't know. No, they did not know it was earnings. They just right. they. But David, what do you do? They bought it and then they picked up 35 points. Who are we to criticize? Who are we? Great beards, suits. I know. But we put right. suits on, Great. we know. So is it, is it 98? Is it 99? Is it 2000? Where are we? David, I have to tell you, at law school, we always use a term called sui generis. It ain't like anything we've ever seen. Hmm. Silence. Carl, interesting times. Uh, I, yeah, because, you know, so often, Carl, we hear these comparisons to the late 90s. But it is worth reminding people, we were talking about excess speculation in 98, and it went on for quite some time after that. Right. And I think that's, Carl, we have to respect it. I think a lot of people, uh, including many big hedge funds, don't respect it. And they've been left behind by the people who are optimistic. Yeah, Jim. Although yesterday, I think you were going back and forth with Portnoy about (laughs) why people continue to insist it's a bubble. And I think your implication was those who repeatedly say, oh, we're in a bubble, we're in a bubble, are um, not well informed. No, I mean, I think that, well, there's two things I would say. Uh, there's a really interesting piece today, uh, uh, Jeffrey's on Tesla, and it's called The Permanent Revolution Continues. Now, uh, permanent revolution, Carl, is a, that is actually a phrase that comes from Leon Trotsky, uh, meaning that you just constantly have to reinvent and you have to attack and crush your enemies. Uh, Portnoy is a bit Trotskyite when it comes to these people. I, I would just say that, you know what, they're Trotsky, that, that if Tr- Trotsky would look at these people and say that, you know what, they are, they're really rich people who are sitting on their laurels and do not have to, to account for anybody. Portnoy, of course, comes from the sports world where these people would have been fired nine times over. I mean, can you imagine an NFL coach who was very good in 1987 uh, and has been coaching ever since? And that's the world that Portnoy's from. He's a world of rigor. And the world of rigor in the NFL is far more rigorous than the world that we have. 
And people can be wrong all the time. I mean, now I, I'm like constantly up to criticism. I don't mind that. But a lot of these hedge funds, they come on and maybe they say doom. Maybe they say they're on some private island. Maybe they say this is the most dangerous market ever. And, and nothing, they're wrong and they still have their job. Their job is to be rich. So that's why I thought that the Trotsky right. implication no. was very interesting. Right, David? Come on. It is interesting. Their and job is to be no, rich listen, and listen, keep listen, you I've poor. I've said it many times. A hedge fund, the hedge fund world really was created to enrich uh, a, a small group of people beyond all measure, uh, despite the fact that when you look at the performance over a long period yep. of time, uh, it is nothing short of maybe average. Yep. Um, and yet they, are all, they have all been compensated until recently where fees really have started to struggle. They've all been compensated as though they're all the greatest investors of all time. Uh, and they are not. No. Uh, they are not. It's much more of a marketing uh, marketing scheme in many ways has been my experience wow. having followed the industry now for a quarter century from really its earliest days to where it is right now. But David, we hang on to, those filings um, of, of what they're doing. And yeah. we have people come on and say, listen, the world's about to end. And then they buy into the I world know. that's about to end. Now, I don't know who does that. But, it's, but David Portnoy is not one who does it. I mean, remember, he got in right uh, in the bottom. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. And it goes to the current conversation about wealth in this country, Carl, because there has been an incredible amount of wealth created as a result of this industry uh, that um, that you could argue didn't make sense and didn't actually operate in the way that we'd like it to in a free market. Because in a free market, it would seem that um, assets would actually accrue to those who were best positioned to get performance. And yet that really didn't always seem to be the case. Never fired. Well, not to mention um, the uh, the Federal Reserve uh, just this week with data showing that uh, top 10 percent of earners in the country own 87 percent of U.S. stocks, uh, highly concentrated and unequal, unequal uh, distribution of gains from the stock market, which we which we don't talk about enough. Uh, Jim, uh, sort of back to to what we do talk about, and that is names like Apple. Um, You see, we got Webb Bush today uh, going to 600 from 515 bull case 700. Uh, iPhone 12 super cycle, they say, as I also notice um, some reports that Apple may be planning some augmented reality content for Apple TV plus. Well, they've always been saying that. Now, I want to caution uh, you only hear the term super cycle when you're wrong. And, you know, I, I say own Apple, don't trade it. But we had a fracking sand super cycle uh, where that go. We had a coal super cycle. We had an oil super cycle. You never want to hear that term. Because no one can live up to a super cycle. So I think that they should uh, temper their enthusiasm. Uh, and I am the biggest Apple bull on the street other than perhaps Katie Uberty. I just don't like to hear super cycle. No, because that's the kiss of death. Yeah. You know, Jim we, and Carl, we don't mention often enough, I think, perhaps Berkshire, which is still one of the largest yeah. companies in this country. I think six largest market cap. It's, it's 250 plus million shares of Apple are worth $126 billion. Mass a lot of American Express Wells Fargo, doesn't it, David? Mass a lot of Coca-Cola, doesn't it? Mass them. Yeah, but it doesn't add up to to anywhere near that number, not even close. I mean, Bank of America, I think, is is Berkshire's next largest, holding at Mm -hmm. around $26.5 billion value, even though they own 11.9% of the company. Uh, Jim, that $126 billion, and then you add the cash that Berkshire has as well. I mean, you get to an enormous number. There are some people who've been doing some analysis sort of on this idea of the stub value of Berkshire, given that. Wow. I'm not sure it's completely worthwhile, but it is worth mentioning what a position that's been for Warren Buffett, 
Uh, you know, and you can criticize, and we have, and certainly there's there's plenty of names, including <laughs> Kraft Heinz and Wells Fargo. Right. But the Apple purchase, uh, not bad. Remember, not you bad went to all. Dairy Queen, saw everybody uh, using an Apple. Remember, he never wanted to own technology stocks. He always regarded Carl as a consumer packaged goods play. I know Tim Cook doesn't necessarily appreciate that, the CEO of Apple, but it's better to be lucky than good. I mean, if you see a lot of people walking around with yeah. uh, Apple phones and you decide to buy it, the old Peter Lynch method, it does make up for um, some very underperforming Wells Fargo. Wow. I'm still waiting for Wells Fargo. to. Yeah, yeah I don't even know what I'm waiting for there. Uh, stagecoach. John, uh, John uh, yeah, Ford. It's, it's a John Ford movie. Yeah. I mean, by the way. Uh, speaking of, of great investors who've had long track records, Carl Icahn, I mean, again, it goes to if he just held on to that Apple stake and that Netflix stake, right. I think he'd be worth. I don't even know what the numbers are. Fifty billion dollars or 60. The numbers are staggering. He did very well. Remember when he was taking Tim Cook to task and yep. they were having dinner and there were things like that. That's years ago. And then they sold. Same thing on Netflix. I mean, sometimes it just pays to hang in there. Well, you know, look, this whole idea of being in and out of Apple has been a disaster. And yet these analysts, they upgrade, they downgrade. It's really repugnant. We criticize hedge fund managers. How about analysts who are just trying to make a name, come on TV, say Apple's best times are behind them and the stock was at 200. I don't know. I mean, I think that if you have conviction and the story stays the same, just stay with it. And you can say, look, there might be some short-term craziness. This split uh, has really created a, a belief among, I think, again, David, some of those newer traders that somehow you uh, a split occurs, you buy it before the split, and you know what? Suddenly you get a lot more. Uh, no, not really. It's still get the same amount. But, but I do find, David, that what I like about these people, what I like about these people is they believe in stocks, not just ETFs. And you cannot tell a single Robinhood trader of the 13 million strong that there's such a thing as single stock risk because they've seen the fortunes made in Facebook and Amazon and Apple. They've seen them made in Microsoft and Google, and they don't want to be left out by being in some sort of S&P yep. fund. And I don't blame them. Well, certainly today's a day, Jim, that completely ratifies that point of view, as we see all of mega cap tech really supporting uh, sectors that are otherwise in the red, uh, including banks. And we haven't really discussed what to expect out of Jackson Hole tomorrow, Jim. But Alan Blinder uh, in Bloomberg today suggesting that rates could be near zero for the next five years. Um, I, you know, no, I guess I we'll have to see what the chairman says tomorrow. There's such a thing called science. And if science solves First testing uh, gets that gap down. No more labs. Then saw, solves therapeutics uh, so that if you get it, you can take a pill or, 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 or a needle uh, and you get cured. Then we will be thinking, what was Blinder thinking? Why didn't he stick to uh, why didn't he think about science instead of just sticking to economics? This is a science question. It's a giant science question. And I'm really tired of hearing from strategists who don't lead off by saying it's a science question, because that's exactly what it is. It's a science downturn, for heaven's sake. It is. That's what it is. It's not a downturn of consumer spend. You heard Larry Kudlow last night, Carl and David. Carl, Larry, Larry's bullish. He is bullish. Uh, talked about the, uh, yeah. the pandemic in the past tense, said it was awful. Right. Um, but, Jim, uh, new polling uh, today says that uh, those who would take a vaccine if it were available today, 40 percent no. That's up from 33 no back in May, as we've talked about uh, the, the fraying of confidence in things like science and the CDC. 
Um, American laying off 19,000 yesterday, as we know. And by the way, Meadows on the tape saying that uh, they are considering some executive orders to help out the airlines. Well, I I think that they, too, should wait for some science. Southwest is saying they don't need a problem. American uh, may already in hock a lot. I'm a believer that we will have developments when you see the. I watch Dr. Gottlieb, and there's so many smart people involved. All the kids that you did not want to compete against. Remember when you'd walk into one of those college classes and you'd see all those people who say, oh my God, this is a D coming? They're all working on this. They're smart people. We just have, we forgot. We thought that smart people go to a small area, a Silicon Valley, keep to themselves and determine the world. I am saying there's another group of people who are very smart, except for they're scientists and they intend to try to cure something. And we should stop, stop denigrating them or saying they don't know what they're doing. And I wish the FDA obviously had more backbone, but, uh, and you're putting up a list of stocks there. It looked like they're all has-beens, but I think we're going to get results. And we start by knowing whether we have it and then we can do something, not five days later, not we send it and 77 NFL guys are, are listed. Imagine if that, if that bioreference lab piece where there's 77 tested positive, that came out uh, game day. Uh, what would Adam Schefter say? You have 77 names who can't play. David, he's ESPN. Yeah, the analyst. I, I'm aware of who he is, oh, okay. and I am, I I'm, I've been watching a lot of basketball. I don't know about you guys, but I've been very much enjoying the return of at least some sports. The Mets was a little tough to take. Now, uh, there's a bubble. Yes, basketball is a bubble. Uh, okay, you had all these hedge funds bubble. come on. They say yeah, it's a bubble, a bubble. It's a bubble. It's a bubble. And they're worthless. Basketball is a bubble. <laughs> basketball is a bubble. They get tested a lot. And I, listen, I share your concern still at this point, given that I have two very social uh, teens and uh we've had them tested a lot and man you cannot get a result as quickly as you you need to unless you're willing to pay there are places you can go and pay a lot of money for it Uh, and so the question still becomes well why hasn't the government then found a way to make those places ubiquitous where we don't have to pay so that we can all get tested when we want to and get results very quickly i don't get it and we do need people to be in these trials carl i heard that vax number i mean i've been trying to fight to get into the j and j trial uh, because I think that everybody, it's everybody's duty to actually get in these trials. There aren't enough arms. Regeneron needs more people. If we don't have people from hotspots who take these vaccines, then we're not going to have any answers. It is everybody's American duty to try to take a vaccine. We need testing. We don't have enough people who are willing to try. And uh, that's going to be the death knell of the vaccine candidates. Look at that. Uh, Jim, let's, let's hope people listen to that. Um, in the meantime, all-time highs again for the S&P this morning and the NASDAQ. Let's get to Bob Asani. Hey, Bob. Morning, guys. Happy Wednesday. All-time highs on the S&P and NASDAQ, but not a lot of new high breakouts. Where are they? I, I count 13 on the S&P 500. That's it? With the S&P at a new high? This shows you how important these mega-cap tech stocks are. Uh, let's just take a look at the sectors. What's happening today is this little mini rotation into value stocks we've been seeing recently in banks and industrials. That's kind of stopped today, I think, largely thanks to Salesforce. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, uh, moving the software sector up rather dramatically, helping techs out, consumer discretionary. But you see here banks, industrial, energy, all modestly underperforming the rest of the market here. If you take a look at um, software stuff, uh, a lot said about what's going on at CRM, but it was a blowout number here overall here. Uh, guidance also very good. Intuit, <laughs> delaying those tax filings really helped Intuit. Of course, they do the TurboTax and everything else. The company said they had the strongest customer growth 
in four years. People needed a lot of help with their taxes uh, there. And you see all these software stocks that are doing well, Datadog, Splunk, ServiceNow, smaller companies, but they've had terrific quarters all the time uh, throughout the, the last few months. The numbers just keep going up. Speaking of customer growth, online sales among the retailers, boy, they just keep getting just terrific numbers here. Dix was up that 194. That's not a typo. Urban Outfitters didn't give a number. They just said it was up double digits, and they had a great uh, quarter overall, surprisingly. Nordstrom was down 5%, but that partly is because the anniversary sale was moved. So there should be an asterisk there. Uh, not entirely. It, it, I believe it would have been up if you would have had a normal anniversary sale there, but still rather poor showing for for. Uh, for Nordstrom, if you take a look at the numbers today, the, the market's telling you here, uh, obviously they love Dick's numbers and Urban Outfits was surprisingly strong. I think surprisingly pleasantly so. You see that 25% jump and Nordstrom, you see no real response there, a bit of a disappointing numbers. Nothing disappointing about the home builders. Home builders, another home run in, in the new orders. We just had a streak of tremendously great numbers uh, from Pulte, Horton, and now from uh, Toll Brothers. And again, the key metric, I'm the son of a home builder, you want to watch is what's the future like? And you watch for new orders. That is this sort of the key metric for the home builders. And another good number here, up 26% for Toll Brothers. Horton, uh, DR Horton's numbers were uh, up 38%. Uh, when they reported, they reported a few weeks ago, if you put up that full screen there, uh, Pulte, as I recall, was flat, but everybody just had tremendous things to say. The numbers just kept getting stronger month over month here. And the question I think now is, you saw they were all down. Uh, the question is really, how much more can you have? I mean, these stocks are all up 30, 35 percent for the quarter. So if you plot the home building ETF, which is the XHB against the S&P for the year, you see the, the, the XHB... Uh, in the white line, dropped a lot more uh, in March than, than uh, the overall market. But you can see it's recovered a lot quicker. We've recovered more than 100% of the losses that they had by the March bottom. So, so there's the huge turnaround. And I think a lot of people have been pleasantly surprised, including Home Depot and Lowe's and everybody else who's benefiting from the DIY ethic that's sweeping the country. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. All right, Rick Santelli brought us those durable numbers uh, at 8.30. Let's get back to him. Hey, Rick. Yes, Carl, and those numbers were definitely on the hot, hot, hot side. And you can tell, look at an intraday of 10-year notes. They made their high yield pretty much right at the moment those figures were released, a little bit above 72 basis points, which, by the way, is the intraday high from about the, the 13th of August, call it a couple weeks ago, and it's the high close from the 13th. As you look at a month-to-date chart, you can see it there right in the middle. And if you open that chart up to June, you can see that should we trade just a little lower in price, a little higher in yield, we'd immediately pop up to the best level since mid-June. So we've really been compressed, and I think that's an important feature because we could argue about, do you believe the stock market's given us a representation of the economy? But in the end, there are no buts. We are at all-time highs in the S&P and the NASDAQ, and interest rates really seem very uh, much to be ignoring that dynamic. One could say it's because they're giving you a test of the real economy. I don't think so. They're giving you a test of the breadth of the Federal Reserve to keep interest rates low. That's really, in my opinion, what's going on. And finally, let's look at the dollar index. Since June 1st, you could see this big rounding bottom that we have, uh, where we are kind of from 92 plus all the way up to 93. We've been doing some work. And the euro currency, of course, been turning at that 119, 119, 118 and a half level. So we want to pay attention to both these dynamics because obviously uh, emerging markets and much of the world has 
seen a relief from the dollar funding issues just a couple of months ago. And everybody has written off the dollar index. Many think it's going to go much lower. But at least at this point in time, it certainly seems to be getting its land legs back. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right. Thank you, Rick Santelli. The bond report. Well, don't miss coming up our interview with BHP Group CEO Mike Henry. They provide commodities around the world. What is he seeing in terms of a rebound? Uh, We will talk to him about that. Stay with us. Etsy CEO Josh Silverman speaking out against Amazon support for a California bill, which seeks to hold electronic retail marketplaces to the same liability standards applied to brick and mortar retailers. Silverman says, quote, Amazon is taking bold steps to wipe out its competitors by promoting complex, hard to comply with legislation that only they can afford to absorb. Amazon's goal is to be the only place to buy stuff online, hobbling mom and pops that sell unique items in their own shops or more frequently since COVID through marketplaces like Etsy. Small businesses struggling now more than ever will ultimately bear the brunt of the overbearing burdens of what is AB 3262. And again, that does seek to hold electronic retail marketplaces to the same liability standards applied to brick and mortar retailers, Jim. Something that you'd imagine would not be good for Etsy. No, and and I think that Josh, Brooklyn's own Josh, it has, raises a lot of good points, which is basically that it was this was a anti-Amazon bill because they didn't want uh, obviously California didn't want Amazon dumping cheap stuff. But what's happened has been co-opted, uh, and uh, it can be very easy for. Uh, Amazon basically to make the rules too hard so that Etsy wouldn't be able to vet 70 million items sold. I thought this was a really important note, so important that when I talked to Shopify tonight, I got to bring this in because I thought that that Josh understands that a wolf in sheep's clothing, AB 3262, is no consumer protection bill. It's just one of those things that Amazon better distance itself from right now if they want to be a good actor. And they know that. They ought to just say, you know what, we were on the wrong side of this. What a great thing. What a great thing if they did that, because they are. You can't do this to the small business person. And that's who's on Etsy, and that's who's on Shopify. And they're the ones who are struggling most in this country, not Amazon. It would be, Carl, the first law of its kind uh, to hold online retailers uh, liable for defective goods sold on their platform. So it would be forging sort of a new area, uh, which California often does. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Uber and Lyft can tell you about uh, some of the intricacies of California law. Uh, They've been, been very important to a very big business. Guys, we continue to see uh, consumer discretionary and information technology uh, continue to support the market at large with most of the other sectors down. S&P's up almost five points. Fresh record today. Back after a break. Dow's down 50. Breath is um, mostly negative today, but sees, uh, you can see what happens when Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix are all higher. Salesforce up almost 20% today on that monster quarter. Back in a moment. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. I think Intuit's going to play catch up here. It's a company that hasn't done as well as other software stocks. It has done just an amazing tax season in part because you can do it virtual. And if you do it virtual and you also do small business, then you end up being the right place to be during a pandemic. I have Intuit on tonight. Stock's only up. Oh, stock was up four. Now it's up seven. I think it goes higher. Yeah, we've got a few names coming off of their yes. uh, early morning highs, Jim. Uh, along with uh, Shopify and 3M tonight. And 3M, yeah. Book this show. Our team is unbelievable. I cannot wait for tonight's show. All of those stocks are potential movers, okay? All of them. Wow. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's a lineup right there, Jim. Thank you, um, guys. Thank and you. then um, 
Yeah, very nice, very nice. Do you think uh, we mentioned earlier Jackson Hole, and we heard from Esther George this morning saying she sees more deflationary aspects to the economy right now than inflationary. Mm. I don't suppose you think that conversation is going to flip no. in 24 hours. No, but I, I look for science to help us. That's my move, not the, not the Fed. They've done their job. Let's get science in. Science. How about Congress? We don't seem to hear about uh, much of them they anymore. Gave, I gave up on them, David. I gave up on Congress. I need science because Congress, uh, Secretary Mnuchin, they're all trying to do something too late. They, did, they failed. They failed. So now we have to rely on science. There's a lot of people that are, um, that are not doing particularly well right now. It's I sort of know. Important to I remember. know. A lot of small businesses no, as well that are relying on Congress to provide some sort of relief I, here. I, I, I gave know. up on them. It's terrible time. We need something, but we're not getting it from Washington. We're just not. I'm sorry. We're not yeah, getting it. Um, yeah. Meadows, uh, his chief of staff, is uh, talking to Politico this morning and says he did have his staff reach out to uh, the speaker to try to resume some talks on stimulus, but does not have high hopes, Jim. Right. And uh, maybe that, maybe that right. sentiment is, is more widespread than I we think. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, we're going to have to start thinking high hopes of alternatives. Either. Not anymore. Not anymore. Jim, we'll see you tonight. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.